This is the sixth and final class of the Shabbos Learning Project this year, Tavshin Pebez, and very appropriately, we will be discussing the end of Shabbos, the, ces- the cessation of the prohibition of Malacha, Havdalah, and we'll touch upon Malava Malka briefly. So let's start from the beginning of this process. The sky is getting dark. It's the end of the day. Shabbos is going away. And uh, it's a bittersweet time. Um, and practically, what time can a person, when can a person begin to do malacha? So obviously, after Havdalah is when we can do malacha. We can do uh, actions that were previously prohibited on Shabbos. What about before? Um, how does Atachonantanu work? What about Baruch HaMavdil Ben Kodesh Lachol? So the first thing to know is that there's certain rabbinic prohibitions that are lifted right away at the end of Shabbos. And these include preparing for after Shabbos, speaking about business matters, uh, asking a non-Jew to perform a malacha. Those are all um, rabbinic prohibitions that get lifted right at nightfall. And they are, I would loop them all together by saying that they are prohibitions that are designed to keep us away from a weekday mindset. So preparing for Shabbos, speaking about business matters, um, asking a non-Jew to be our agent in the performance of malacha. Um, those are all things that we are forbidden on Shabbos, but are prohibited as soon as night comes. What about other activities, full malachos of Shabbos? So the Shulchan Aruch says one should not perform any malacha until after Havdalah. But if one needs to, uh, you should say the formula of Hamavdil ben Kodesh Lachol. As an aside, I'll mention the formula of the Shulchan Aruch is actually a different words. He says, Hamavdil ben HaKodesh u ben HaChol. Leaving out the word Baruch, which we usually say, which is, in, which is inserted by the later poskim. And instead of Hamavdil ben Kodesh Lechol, he who separates between the holy and the profane, his formula is Bein HaKodesh u Bein HaChol using the word Bain twice. And the uh, MS Lyakov, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, in his Sefer, he explains that the difference between the Shulchan Aruch's formula and the one that we use, which is brought by the Ramah, is that the Shulchan Aruch is borrowing the language of the Torah in Parshat Shmini, after the deaths of Nadav and Haviu, the sons of Aaron, the verse there says, Lahavdil Bain HaKodesh Ubain HaChol. So that formula is what is used by the Shulchan Aruch, whereas the Ramah prefers the language of Chazal of the sages, um, in their formula formulation of Havdalah, Hamavdil ben Kodesh Lachol ben Or Lachoshech, etc., etc. So it's slightly different in the words that are used. It's the same general idea. I'm just pointing, I'm uh, re- referring to this understanding of Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky to show that every little word within Halacha and Minhag um, is significant and there's a reason for it. So it's uh, important that we understand the Halacha and also the, the meaning behind it. Anyway, the Shulchan Aruch says that if one needs to do malacha, you can recite that formula that marks the end of Shabbos, and then it is permitted to do malacha. And the Ramah points out that this works really for women, but for men who need to daven in shul, they should wait until after Mariv. The poskim cite the Zohar that says after Mariv means after um, Ve'ata Kadosh, that's recited after Shemona Esrei of Mariv. So except for a mitzvah purpose, like turning on the lights in shul, then men should really be waiting until, until after Marev. So there are a few different uh, times given here. The bottom line is as follows. For women, after nightfall, they say, Baruch HaMavdil Ben Kodesh Lachol, and then Malacha is permitted. 
men could really do the same, lahalacha, but are better off waiting until after Mariv, unless there's some pressing mitzvah need. So that's the uh, that's how we mark the end of Shabbos and how we begin to engage with Malacha. Now let's move on to Havdalah itself. So the Pasuk says, You should remember the day of Shabbos to sanctify it. And the Rambam explains, the Gemara really, explains that this includes Kiddush at the start of Shabbos and Havdalah marking the end of Shabbos. That's part of remembering Shabbos. So sanctifying Shabbos is, is marking its end. It's a bittersweet time. It's a special time. We depart from Shabbos reluctantly, uh, even as we recognize that this very process of departure marks the special nature of, of Shabbos. And there's a lot of facets to it that we take with us into the week, as I'll mention in the coming minutes. The tour and the Mishnah Baruch, some early sources bring the Medrash. Pirkei Rabbi Lazar extols the value of, of Havdalah and compares us uh, uh, recognizing Havdalah and, sancti- and sanctifying Shabbos and separating it from the week uh, and connects it to what Hashem says, that, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu separates us from the, uh, from the other nations of the world. So this power of separation that shows how special something is is part of what makes Havdalah uh, such an important thing. So we begin Havdalah by pouring the wine. And as we know, the minag is to pour the wine over the top of the cup and have it spilling over onto the plate. The Ramah actually says to have it spill over onto the floor. I don't think that is what we do nowadays. It's not rec- not recommending that we follow um, that exact formulation of the minhag. Uh, but in any case, having the cup spill over is a sign of the bracha that should spill over into the week. Mishabur actually says to limit the spillover so that you don't waste too much wine. So a little spillover usually onto a plate, is the, uh, the minhag. The source for this, the Ramah actually cites the Gemara in Erevin that says, has a curious um, statement about the, the benefit of having wine spilled. It says, uh, Somebody who doesn't have wine spilling over in his house like water, that's, uh, that's, that shows a lack of a bracha, a uh, lack of blessing. So there's some correlation between the concept of wine spilling and, and bracha. The Taz has an um, unusual comment explaining this. Usually the Taz is a halachic commentary, and once in a while he gives some uh, feeling behind the halacha, and he says here that the idea is that when one, you know, in, in a vibrant household, um, especially with younger members of that household, things spill and break, and it often causes tension. And so to encourage a person to let it go and treat spilled wine or broken things just like water, like not a big deal, we begin the week by intentionally spilling the wine. Just as a person is able to not get upset when this happens the first time, so, so too the signal is that he should continue to draw on that strength and not get upset throughout the week. Rama says it says, It's a good sign at the beginning of the week. So this is both a good sign in the sense of not getting upset and also recognizing the bracha of having a vibrant household in which things break and things spill, and that's okay. That's part of the idea of, of spilling the wine over the top of the cup. So next comes the Havdalah procedure. First we begin with psukim, with verses of comfort. Uh, then comes the bracha of hagafen. Then comes the bracha on the, on the, on the uh, torch, and then the bracha on the spices, and then the actual bracha of Havdalah itself. So we begin with these verses of joy and comfort. There's various minhagim here. 
there is a common minhag to recite the Pasuk of Laihudim Haisa Ora in unison. Um, many do, some don't. Bells, there is a minhag that everybody recites all the psukim of comfort and joy from Hinei Kel Yeshua si at the beginning until the actual brachas of Havdalah um, that everybody recites it together. Um, other things connected to these verses, when, you, when we say, Kos Yeshua Sa, that I shall lift up a cup of, of salvation, Lavush writes that one is to lift up his cup at that time. Karlin, Karliner Chasidim have the minhag to lift up the candle that, uh, that is on a flame. When we say, Lehudim Haisa Ora, that there was light to the Jewish people. All different and beautiful minhagim. These uh, verses are recited only on Matzei Shabbos, not on Matzei Yamtif, and not on Sunday morning or whenever if, if, if uh, Havdalah is delayed. So these are minhagim and psukim that are specifically attached to Matzei Shabbos as a signal of blessing for the six days of the work week that follow. That's the, so those are the introductory psukim. Now uh, we have the brachos. Kafa Chaim gives an interesting explanation as to the reason of the order of these brachos. He says that it goes in order of our senses, from uh, a heavier, more base type of senses to lighter, more, more spiritual in nature. Um, of our senses. So first we start with, we taste the wine. We make a brach on the wine at least. And that's a brach on tasting of the wine, which only happens when something enters into your mouth. You can only taste something when it's inside of you. Smell is something that we can smell even when it's further away. So that's the bracha on smell. Then comes the bracha on being able to see and gain benefit from the nair. Eyesight is something, is a type of a sense that can see very far away. We can see it to the stars and to the heavens. And finally comes one's ability to sense and ascertain the, the uh, ability of, of cognition, of thinking, of understanding things that are beyond one, well beyond oneself. And that's the bracha of Havdalah. So it goes in that, that gradation, in that order, according to the Kafah Chaim. It's an interesting way of giving some context to the, um, to the order of these brachas. But the order actually, it doesn't really matter if you switch around Aish and Besamim, um, and reverse the order, that also okay. It's also, it's also okay, that also counts. So let's talk about the first bracha, Bissamim. Uh, the Mishnah Bura um, notes that we should have the kos, the Havdalah uh, wine, in one hand, in our right hand, and a left hand. We should already be holding the Bissamim. The idea here is Chibuv HaMitzvos, even though we're not making the bracha and the Bissamim first, but having it in hand shows that we hold it to be precious. Um, so then we make the bracha on the wine, then comes the bracha on the Bissamim. What's this idea of Bissamim? So this is connected to the concept of an Ishami Yisera, which is mentioned in the Gemara and Be'ah. An Ishami Yisera is the extra soul, the extra soul that we receive as Shabbos comes in and that leaves when Shabbos goes out. The word Vayinafash in the Pasuk is interpreted to mean Vay of the Nefesh. It's a combination of those words, Vayinafash, Vay of the Nefesh, woe that we have lost that extra soul. So that's where the Gemara refers to this extra soul. Why do we have it? What is it for? So uh, I'm going to give you three brief uh, ideas. Rashi says, Rashi in the Gemara says that it's to give a person, um, he's more soulful in the sense that he has a finer appreciation for the physical delights of Shabbos. It's interesting. This extra soul helps us appreciate the physical delights of Shabbos. Um, That's Rashi's um, angle. The Shita Hamiku Betzes, another Rishon on the Gemara says that it's more spiritual, it's, a, it's an extra spiritual receptor that allows a person to gain a better understanding of Torah over the course of Shabbos. 
And Rav Hirsch, uh, in talking about the idea of vayinafash, of, of resting, of, of, of regaining strength, he, he talks about the idea that Shabbos, a person actually gets more in touch with his own soul. He gets more connected with his own soul, who he really is. And that's the idea of vayinafash, according to Rav Hirsch. So either way, this extra inspiration, either to gain appreciation for the physical delights of Shabbos, um, or to understand Torah better, or to just get more in touch with ourselves and our connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, this, this uh, ability leaves us in Matzah Shabbos. And the fragrant spices of the Avdalah are a way of comforting ourselves, bolstering our soul. And as the uh, early, early um, uh, Sefer HaPardes says, it's to create a remembrance, a lasting impression of the Shabbos that was. So the Shulchan Aruch says a person should make a, a bracha on spices. If he doesn't have these spices, he need not exert himself to obtain them. Although the Arizal says one really should make a serious effort to do so. He talks about the influence that these spices have on the rest of the week. So it's a, a beautiful opportunity. Um, a very contemporary issue. One who has no sense of smell uh, should not make the bracha. It used to be in the olden days that people didn't have a sense of smell. Usually they had a cold and it was temporary. Uh, sometimes there were more serious medical conditions that led to a lack of a sense of smell. And now, unfortunately, it's quite common in the COVID era to not have a sense of smell, smell hopefully only for a short period of time. But someone who has no sense of smell shouldn't be making the bracha on, uh, on the summim. Somebody else can make the bracha. Uh, the bracha is cited, recited over spices. Um, the post can say the good-smelling fruit can work as well, but it's less preferable, um, and it changes the bracha. The bracha that one makes on spices is bore mine besamim, and the bracha that one makes on fruit is hanosein reach tov leperos. That's the bracha made on smelling, good-smelling fruit. So, um, speaking of language, do you know that there's different brachos for different types of smells? Just like with food, different categories of foods um, come with different types of brachos. So too when it comes to spices. There's bore mine besamim, which is kind of a catch-all that refers to types of spices. Isve besamim, atze besamim. Bore isve besamim is on grasses that smell sweet. Atze besamim is, is uh, um, trees, sweet-swelling trees, things that come from more tree-like plants. I remember when uh, we had the privilege of living in Israel, and once in a while I would uh, attend Minyan on Masih Shabbos. No, it was on Friday night at Vizhnitz in Sanhedrin Morchevet. And one of the um, um, engaging um, aspects of davening there, I wouldn't say engaging, it, it just it, it enhanced the sense of, of Shabbos and, and specialness of that time, uh, was that outside the doors of the main shul, the main, um, uh, the main uh, minion there, there was a, a fellow, Sephardi fellow actually, who came every Friday night and set up a stand with bundles and bundles of delicious spelling spices. Remember, lemongrass was my favorite there. And uh, people would come out of shul, there would be a bustle and a buzz of Shabbos, people dress, dressed in their Shabbos finest, and um, kids running around. And on the way out, you would hear, Isve, Atze, Atze, Isve, 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 Atze, Atze. 
And he would be, people would ask and he would instruct, no, that one is borei isve besamim. And the fellow would take it and whoever was there would make a bracha and everyone else would say, amen. It's a, can I get atzei besamim? And the next person would grab an atzei besamim and make a bracha on that. And that was just a way in which we went from Minyan into uh, the rest of Shabbos on Friday night. Just remembering that um, as we talk about the, um, the pleasant aspect of, uh, of spices and the ability to smell. Um, so we talked about these different types of brachas. When it comes to Havdalah, the post give made a blanket rule that no matter what you're making a brach on, unless it's fruit, it should just make the general catch-all bore mine besamim, types of spices. We bless Hashem for having created types of spices. It's an interesting phenomenon in which Chazal came up with, designed different categories of bracha, and yet our our Halacha tells us, the poskim tell us, just make one is too confusing, just make one bracha when it, at least um, for Havdalah, or specifically for Havdalah, make just one bracha, borei minye bisamim. One reason why cloves has, is traditionally taken for spices um, is because that's clearly a bracha of minye bisamim, and it was ready avail- available um, all over. So... That's why cloves are common and mentioned in halacha, but there's no specific mitzvah to have cloves over any other type of spices. One shouldn't make a bracha on an empty box that used to have besamim in it because there's nothing there. And similarly, it's brought in the name of Ramosha Feinstein that perfume and air fresheners don't work for this bracha. It has to be something uh, that is actual spices. Kitchen spices also work. If you, if you don't have anything else, you can grab cinnamon. That'll also work. And you make that bracha bore mine besamim. So that is the bracha of besamim. Next, we have the bracha on esh, on the fire. Why do we make, do we make a bracha of esh on Matzi Shabbos? So one reason is because we're taught that the first fire, first uh, fire was produced by man, Adam HaRishon, on Matzi Shabbos. He knocked two stones together and created the very first fire. So to commemorate this and to give thanks for the incredibly creative force that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has uh, enabled us to create, so we make the blessing on, on fire. Another reason given is based upon the Pirkei Be'elezer. It says that on Matzah Shabbos, Hashem sent a pillar of fire to protect Adam HaRishon, provide light illumination for him, and also to protect him from evil in the world. So that's another idea surrounding this uh, bracha on, on Eish, on fire, on Matzah Shabbos. So it's preferable to use a torch um, because it gives off, gives off a lot of light. It's defined as a candle that has multiple wicks. That's a torch. Once you have multiple wicks, that's considered to be an avuka, and that's the preferable thing to use for avdalah. You can also hold two matches together. It accomplishes the same thing. But if a torch or two matches are unavailable, then you can make a bracha on one flame as well. Uh, We are to stand close enough to the flame in order to benefit from it. It's actually not clear if this type of bracha is a birchas hanehenin, a bracha that is made on, uh, on physical pleasure, or if it's a birchas hashvach, which is a bracha that we make to praise Hashem for what He has given us in this world. Not entirely clear, but um, because of the aspect of benefit, one is to stand close enough to the flame to benefit from it. Some say we turn off the lights, which is the common practice. Others say you don't have to. As long as you can theoretically benefit, that's enough. We turn to our palms and fingernails, and uh, one reason is because this verifies that one can indeed benefit. When you look at your fingernails and you can see the various colors 
um, and you can differentiate between the color that's the flesh that's under your fingernail and the rest of your finger, then you can you're verifying to yourself and you're benefiting from that, that you're able to benefit from the light and you're benefiting from that light. So the minag brought by the Ramah, the Mishnah Bura, is to fold your fingers over your thumb and turn turn your hand towards you so you can see your fingers and palm together. And then some have the custom to then um, turn your hand back over and stretch out your fingers and look at your fingernails again from the other angle. These are nice minhagim, but the idea again is just to make a bracha on the fire, commemorating um, that fire was created, commemorating that it has a protective quality and be able to benefit from that fire. So that is the, uh, that's the bracha on bare me'oreha esh. Some look at the fingernails, by the way, before the bracha, and others have the minute to look after the bracha. Both are acceptable minhagim. Finally, we drink from the Havdalah wine. Um, uh, either, either, whatever you're doing with your hands, the Havdalah wine should be back in the right hand when making the bracha of Hamavdil, and the wine is drunk while seated. In general, Chazal taught us that it's not proper to eat and drink while standing. This is based upon the Gemara and Gittin and Ayin. The commentaries explain that it's not good for digestion, and they also explain that it's more dignified to, uh, to consume food and drink while seated. So the person who makes Abdullah drinks a male lugmav, um, which is a, ch- a full cheekful. It's better to drink a full revius, which we've discussed in earlier classes, in order to make a bracha achrona afterwards. One has to have a revius of wine and grape juice. Those listening should refrain from speaking until that person who makes Abdullah drinks that first gulp. It's a nice size gulp. Um, this is because he's acting as our agent. And it's as if we ourselves are drinking the Abdullah wine. So therefore, we don't want to interrupt until after the wine has been drunk and the mitzvah is, is complete. Now, what about other people drinking the Havdalah wine? So the Mishnabura cites the Magan Avram, who cites even earlier sources, that Havdalah wine is to traditionally not consumed, not drunk by women, or even by other members of the household. Um, this is actually a deviation from our usual way in which we treat a kos shabracha, wine that's used for mitzvah, for blessings, where we encourage uh, others to, to partake of that, of that wine, which was used for a bracha. So it's not entirely clear where this minik developed or when it developed. It does seem that from earlier sources, like in the Machsavitri, like at Yosher and the Tor, that um, it's okay, lahalacha, uh, that in earlier generations, they actually did dispense the Havdalah wine. Nevertheless, it's a well-documented minhag that appears in many important halachic sources. And there are lots of reasons given for why women don't drink from Havdalah wine. There are some urban legends about um, unwanted hair growth. I really couldn't track down a real source for this at all. Um, But there are other um, attempted explanations given. One basic reason is... Uh, it really has nothing to do with women versus the other household members. I think that's why the Mishabura says that no one should really drink from the Havdalah wine, not because there's a problem with them drinking, but because we need to make sure that the person who has the Havdalah wine, who drinks it himself, is that he drinks enough. He should drink a Mali Lugma of a good gulp in order to be Yotze Havdalah, and he should really drink a full Revia so that he can make a proper Bracha Achrona afterwards. If one is busy handing out Havdalah, uh, to members of the household or people who are listening, then it's not so easy to do. So that's one reason why we're discouraged from handing out the Havdalah wine. Um, the Shlag gives a different reason. He talks about the idea of the Eitz Hadas 
the, uh, the first, uh, what's called the forbidden fruit that, uh, that Chava partook and gave to Adam to, uh, to have was actually a grapevine. And Chava squeezed out wine to give to Adam, uh, which was spurred by her wanting or being convinced that she wanted to separate from him somewhat. And therefore, women don't partake of the Havdalah wine. And according to this approach, the idea of a woman not partaking in the wine, not drinking the wine, is a signal to remind us of the need to always be working on Shalom Bayis because the vine and, and, and grapes and wine that came as a result was the um, source of the first sin that drove a separation between Chava and, and Adam. So that's another explanation. That's one based upon the Shlah. Others give a kind of quasi-halachic explanation connected to the idea that women might not be obligated in Havdalah, and therefore um, they would be drinking um, the wine or grape juice because of the bracha of Hagafen made at the very beginning of Havdalah. And if they're not obligated, then the rest of, of Havdalah is like an interruption. And so because of that interruption, the meaning has become for women not to drink of the Havdalah wine. Um, so I, I mentioned uh, two or three reasons. Either way, it seems clear that uh, that that is a prevalent minhag, and at the same time, it seems clear that when there's reason for it, one should have no qualms about giving havdalah wine to household members, including women. Uh, for example, um, there are times in which a woman needs to make havdalah on her own. Uh, Matziyom Kippur is a classic time frame that. Uh, a lot of women experience this, where the husbands are late in coming back from shul. They need to make havdalah, and then there's some reluctance to do so based upon these ideas of women not having havdalah wine. In that context, it is certainly preferable for a woman to make havdalah, to eat, um, and to break her fast. Uh, another example is when the head of the household can't drink enough wine for some reason, then, then others can certainly partake uh, and help drink the wine. So, um, finally... In the procedure of Havdalah, um, the Ramah brings that we extinguish the, the, the candle, the torch, the avuka, into some of the Havdalah wine from the cup. And then the, he also has a minute to wash. He writes that one should be washing his eyes with the Havdalah wine. And uh, all, all these are um, signs, signals of chibuv ha-mitzvah, of, of the preciousness of loving the mitzvah. And uh, some do so three times, some have the minute to place wine on the forehead and in the pockets. Some have the minute to sniff the Havdalah candle right afterwards. Um, and there are segula, angles of significance attached to all of these minhagim, but they're all, they all come back to the same basic principle of chibov ha-mitzvahs, of the love of mitzvahs, of every part of a mitzvah, the remnants of mitzvah, and specifically at a time when we're trying to hold on to the remnants of Shabbos and, and start our week off on the right foot. Finally, after Havdalah, we have uh, the next thing that appears in halacha is the concept of a malava malka, escorting the departing Shabbos queen. Some say it's a full obligation. Others say that it's a mitzvah to, to do so, but not necessarily obligatory. The Chai Adam explains that washing is, is the part that's not obligatory, but everybody should have something to mark the, uh, the leaving of the Shabbos queen, preferably, preferably some mezonos, or at least some cake or fruit, and at the very, very least, the postcoms say that a hot drink um, is, uh, is a good option to mark the end of Shabbos, and that would count as Malava Malka. So it's interesting, there's all sorts of physical and mystical benefits that um, in the sources are, are connected with this concept of, concept of Malava Malka. 
There's a well-known medrash about the luz bone, which is found somewhere in our bodies, uh, which is the kernel from which one's entire body will be, will be resurrected at some point in the future. Uh, this bone, this luz bone, um, from which the rest of our body will be reconstructed, is nourished, according to the medrash, only from food eaten at the Malava Malka meal. And there are lots of mystical explanations, fascinating mystical explanations given for this concept and from the idea of the Luz bone and its connection to the place in Eretz Yisrael known as Luz. But suffice it to say, in this context, that it's, you know, just like Malava Malka is extending Shabbos and it's kind of drawing its blessings beyond the confines and the boundaries of Shabbos, so too, by... Um, Engaging in Lava Malka, it will yield blessings that go beyond the confines of this world and of normative systems. So that's why it leads to this idea of resurrection, which is a step beyond this world. So Lava Malka is one last step, trying to draw Shabbos further and to um, enjoy its blessings throughout the week. So in conclusion, um, we similarly hope that the Torah that's been learned in these uh, past few weeks of SLP, the Shabbos Learning Project, uh, should result in a blessing for our community and beyond. Also, the time that was spent with uh, either alone or with our families learning these halachos, uh, enjoying the the humor and instruction behind the quizzes, and fine-tuning our behavior and devotion and attachment to holiness, to sanctity, and to the blessings of Shabbos should be a source of blessing for all of us. Thank you for listening.